Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house and get 20% off your order and free shipping on any Manscaped product. That's Will and I'm Jake. This is episode 82 of Beers, Business, and Balls. We are joined by former NBA point guard Chris Duhon, now the assistant coach at Bryant University, NEC champion Bryant. Um, former Duke national champion. This dude's been to, I mean, what a week to have Chris Duhon on. Well, it's a well, week. First of all, <laughs> Coach K's done. All right, let's, let's get that out of the way. Uh, so we can old takes expose Chris Duhon for some of this. Um, still a lot of good insights into how it was playing for Coach K, um, you know, and what he learned from him, what he's applying to him now. Uh, obviously, what he said about, you know, Duke going all the way is no longer. That, that sucks that he was there to see it too. Uh, you'll see what we're talking about in like 20 minutes, but it sucks that given how passionate he was about Coach K kind of coming back uh, and, you know, riding out into the sunset one last time, which I think he actually used those words. Uh, he was in the building for that. Kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked at the play action pool standings for the bracket, but Obviously, Duke's not in the final, so <laughs> pour one out to you. But I'm done. I have. I was in second place, and I gained zero points. So that's it. Well, I mean, we'll dive into like the predictions afterwards. But we, and then you'll hear the interview. We were all wrong. I mean, I think all four of us on the camera are just like, yeah, let's just focus on Kansas Villanova because Duke's going to win this. But we did say that Villanova was going to cover. Yeah, yeah, we did. Bad move. I mean, um, UNC, sorry. UNC UNC did cover. Oh, yeah. Yeah, UNC covered. The under did not happen, which I was shocked. Oh, no, no, no. I'm getting the games confused. We had the over. (laughs) We had the over on Duke-UNC, which hit. I was going to say, I think the under hit. No, the over hit in in Duke-North Carolina. Yeah. Which we had, but the Overs hit both games. Yeah. Sad way for Coach K. I really did not ex- anticipate that, but UNC, sneaky, underseeded eighth, eighth seed. Very sneaky. Kind but sucks. Yeah, Chris Duhon gives a lot of just great insight on, you know, going from being with Coach K to then Kobe and then back in college basketball with your Bryant Bulldogs. I mean, not a bad career. Coach K, I, yeah. Kobe, Peter Kiss. <laughs> uh dude, you forget like carlos boozer and shit too he yeah played with a lot of those guys at duke uh man and then like he was playing with uh kirk heinrich like just absolute tyson. sharp shooting three-pointer tyson chandler uh, young tyson chandler yeah hell yeah he was on the lakers super team how cool yeah, nuts Steve is that Nash, dwight howard um kyle gasol not bad i don't know who he's on the knicks with um, I, I honestly don't think, was it mellow? All right. And now we're really going to have to look, we should have done our homework before we started. I just don't remember. I just, I don't remember the years on him. So this was, was 2008 to 2010. So he would, uh, he was brought in to replace Marbury. Um, and then like a month after he was, you know, a month after he started with the Knicks, basically he set a, a single game record with 22 assists in a, a single game. So that's kind of sick. I mean, that team, like, that team had in 2008, Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Ed Curry, Jamal Crawford. Al Harrington. 
David Lee, Zach Randolph. Um, and then what the next season, Jamal Crawford, too. Crawford was pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, T Mac was on the year after. Um, then 2000, 2000. I mean, he did play with. If he was on it in 2010, that was the mellow year. Uh, might have been 2010-11. Yeah, he just missed Mellow. He just missed it was a year before Mellow. Either way, but Chris Duhon, incredible interview. We'll get to him in a little bit, but let's just start it off with the beers. Let's have some beer, man. Uh, some you beers. go first. We've had a lot of it these past couple of weeks, too. Back into a rhythm. Um, God, I feel like we're talking about like work or some shit. Like, oh, we're back into the rhythm. Like, you know, but we're talking about drinking beer uh one third of the show what do you got on tap for us yeah so went back to revival right up the road uh we were just talking before we started recording revival is back producing some more beers uh they moved to the new location on sims ave in providence last last year um and it took them some time to kind of get back to their uh regular revival schedule of you know producing 20 something beers sours double triple ipas all that kind of stuff. And, and they have really good artwork too, but that's besides the point. I had Extra Thirsty, which is their triple IPA adaption to, I think it's called Hey You Thirsty. Um, yeah, it must have been. But usually triples are one of those where it's like, I have, a, I have a few in the fridge now that I don't love because like you can have a sample of it and then you're like, yeah, I'm good. Not because it's like a lot of alcohol. It's just so heavy and hop forward and just like you can taste the triple whereas like extra thirsty was not that was not the case at all it tasted like a double but had the triple alcohol content like i don't know if that makes sense it's like when you drink that like the heavy triples it like it kicks you in the mouth where it's like all right there's just so much going on like i can't do a full pour of this it's like almost malty exactly it's like too malty but it just malty. punches you in the face so I had the extra thirsty, went down smoothly, had good aroma, still a very juicy New England IPA, uh, four out of five for me, four out of five for Revival, and I'm excited to uh, see, uh, hopefully they start making some new brews as well, not some of their older adaptions, like they get back into that rhythm, but four out of the five for a triple IPA out of Revival. That's pretty good. I mean, for triple IPA, that's it's tough to really get that four, like four, two, five ratings yeah. on tap. I wouldn't go so more than pretty four. good. Wouldn't go more than right. four. I'll be trying that for sure. I'll, I'll go down to revival. Yeah. Uh, go down to Sims Ave revival. Um, they were just talking off air before we started. They have increased their footprint. They're adding some beer. Um, revival's popping too. It's one of those places you walk by and like just everybody's at now. Um, weekends nights all that good stuff so go down there see for yourself uh, they've got some music and cool stuff going on too check them out on instagram i will take it in the other direction i won't go necessarily a craft beer this week um listen we're we're trader joe's podcast that's what we are i think you and i we go to trader joe's enough and i've admittedly gone a bit less like probably once a month as we start off the new year but you walk in there for a few things you walk out there with 200 bucks in the hole because there's just so much shit there's so much good stuff the dumplings the desserts the cuts of meat the fresh veggies the fucking herbs i bought a eucalyptus plant there to put in my shower it was three dollars 
Um, if you were in the right state, Massachusetts included, they serve alcohol. They have wine, they have beer, they have, I think they have vodka too, or some sort they of have whiskey. They have, I mean, they, not only do they have their own labels, but they have other, um, you know, they, it's like a liquor store. It's a liquor store. I mean, they had Sip of Sunshine in that Alston location for like $3 cheaper than you would get at a, at a, just a regular beer store or any, uh, you know, distributor. Like they had Tangare Gym, which is like, you know, not top shelf, but decent gin for like $10 cheaper. Like it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense, but it's a, it's a grab. Someone said it was just like, you know, their margins are slim, but it just brings more people into the door because it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, I went to go get a bottle of wine, but then I picked up $50 worth of groceries. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm just trying to figure out how to describe this beer. So I had, let's go on record first, Joseph Sproul Pilsner. That's what it was. It was you spell it P-L-Z-N-R. Uh, they do a few Joseph Browns. They do a Hefeweizen, which I thought was the one I had. It's not, though. Um, I've been told uh, they, someone on Tasting Table did an article on they ranked every beer Trader Joe's has ever made from best to worst. And the Joseph Sprout Bavarian Hefe, uh, Hefeweizen was number one. I, so I, I, this rating that I'm about to give will not necessarily determine me from trying that. Um, and like Trader Joe's has done a bunch of crazy shit. They did Trader Jose light. Um, and it was basically just a Corona light with different packaging um, that the reviews are pretty good on. Um, so Pilsner check style lager. Um, it was fine. I'm not going to go and say that it was like a really good beer. I, I don't think I've reviewed Kirkland IPA on this show, but I've definitely had it before. And I actually really liked it. Um, that would get like a three, five for me, believe it or not. Um, it just tasted, I don't know, flat's the right word, but there were just not enough. It was lacking something. You know, when you have like a light beer, like a Pilsner or a lager and you're just like, eh, it's not even that it's not like it's not strong enough it's just not there the taste isn't there um that was the impression i got now it wasn't a bottle um i will say thank you very much zach mastriani who gave this to me uh not trying to disparage you for giving me free beer uh (laughs) it was good would i reach for it again no i wouldn't would i have it if it was presented to me sure i would um it was Sweet and crisp, sure, as the reviews say, but I just don't think it like it wasn't outstanding. It was, as the beer advocate says, quote unquote, perfectly serviceable without anything standing out. And that, you know, I, I'm that's what I'm taking away from this. So I'll, I'll give it a three, two, five is my final rating for Joseph Brow Pilsner. Not disappointed. I will try other Trader Joe's beers. I will prefer that it's not this one. Maybe a stout next time. I don't think they make IPAs, but that could be interesting too. So I that's my like review they, on Trader like Joe's. Have, I feel like they do. I feel like if they're, they definitely. Oh yeah, they make they make a Boatswain Hazy IPA, and that's number three out of thirteen in this tasting table article. Interesting. And they do Simpler Times Lager, um, Stockyard Oatmeal Stout, Howling Gourds Pumpkin Ale, Drive Through Red Ale, we'll have Trader to Jose just, Dark Lager. We're just gonna premium. have to have a Trader Joe's tasting day. I was about to say we might have to do a, an episode where we just taste 13 yes, Trader Joe's beers. 
that that would be interesting um so trader joe's beer not not opposed it was fine i honestly better than i thought it would be i really did it was a supermarket beer expectations were in the gutter um so overall i'm not too unsatisfied that's a review that's a review trader joe's uh let's go into our business segment and again, we don't have, this is so weird. We're, we've been doing two firsts this entire, uh, you know, these past four weeks or so. Uh, this is our first real business segment where it's just back to the old days. You and I just shooting the shit about business. Um, first things first, this is some pretty big news. Amazon is going to unionize. Uh, they formally made it official at a Staten Island warehouse this week. Uh, first facility to form a union in the company's history and ranks the among the biggest wins for organized labor in decades um the vote was very close it was around 2600 to 2100 um over half the eligible workers voted so i don't know not a lot of people predicted this uh this is the first this could cause some waves yeah like this this could trigger some stuff and i'm curious to hear your perspective because you felt pretty passionate about this before the show too well i was more surprised where it's like you know you hear a lot about amazon like you hear that workers are not happy and then like rightfully so i mean after the pandemic when people are just buying shit like crazy and then like the supply chain stuff like the quality of life is definitely not you know all these like sunshine and rainbows that amazon tries tries to portray that being said though like yes 2600 workers voted for it but that's just like over half it wasn't like a you know hey we're all in this together you let's unionize kind of thing it was like just about 50 50 right yeah this so, was not a united front that's a very good point which like that'll cause some like you know interesting pushback for years to come i think it's it's great for employees labor unions quality of life for workers it's a major setback i think for amazon that they're gonna have some growing pains with because Again, like we've seen, you know, Amazon workers at warehouses like have some issues. And then now they can just like organize, like professionally organized walkout. And like that's just going to cause yeah. setback where it's like, you know, from there, if that happens a couple of times, like our prime member is going to cancel their membership. Now, prime is now this whole one access pass of music and television and it's not just the delivery service but how many people are like yeah i want my packages there tomorrow well that's the thing in a world where you can't really afford any supply chain disruptions in i don't care who you are you could be joe schmo like you know running a general contracting company where you could be somebody like amazon or some big retailer like target or walmart i mean you're fucked if you can't that's their model it's like we'll just do anything and leverage our resources and our supply chain and our transportation network and all that stuff. I mean, look what Amazon's been doing in these past couple of years. It's, you know, th- this is not groundbreaking stuff. I mean, they bought Whole Foods. They bought a few other big brands. It's like they bought them just so they could gut their supply chain and take, you know, put the Amazon model in there. Yeah. And it works. Um, and that's why customers do it. So without that, you have to think, like what really is Amazon, right? Well, this is, so on NBC News, um, Amazon spokesperson Richard Rocha said, 
We're disappointed with the outcome of the election in, the st in Staten Island because we believe having a direct relationship with the company is best for our employees. We're evaluating our options, including filing objections based on inappropriate and undue influence. And we hope others um, in the Chamber of, Chamber of Commerce witness this election and fair. Um, and another quote that they said that like, this past year, Amazon spent $4.2 million on labor consultants. Um, according to the Department of Labor, just to like help fix shit that's been going on. So yeah, I mean, Amazon's not too thrilled with this. Obviously they're going to have to adapt because it's like they unionized, but this also like, I think will be one of those organizational movements that will have ripple effects on other companies where it's like, well, now we want to unionize if they're doing it. So, and again, I'm not anti-union. It's just like, you know, there's obviously issues that are out of hand that the quality of life the, of the worker is so much more important, but what, how will that impact the company models? And obviously this is, like we mentioned, this is not necessarily new, like public outcry against Amazon is pretty popular, right? This has been going on since the day we started this show, um, just with how much money Jeff Bezos makes and all this stuff. I mean, it's Andy Jassy's still making, say that again. I was like, it's going to probably raise wages. Well, yeah. So here's the thing. I mean, everyone thought this was going to go away with Jeff Bezos. Andy Jassy made 212 million last year. Jesus Christ. That's 6,400 times the amount of the median Amazon worker. So that's, I mean, like, and, and I get it, you know, is uh, that sparks a debate of its own. It's like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not really liquid because it's 61,000 shares of sock too. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's 175 grand as a base salary. And then he's got all the stock, but uh, like, so I understand both sides of it. It's like, yes, he's a CEO of a very successful company. He should be compensated for it. But 100%. 100%. when you are the center of arguably the business world's like globally, the biggest labor crisis in the world, you have to take like actionable steps to stop anyone from dumping fuel on the fire. Like what's happening now. I'm not saying make less money and give it away. I'm just saying like figure out like some solution where that number's down, like that it's not the center of attention. Like look at Andy Jassy's, he's making all these decisions that, you know, and he's making 6,400 times my salary. You know, that's, I'd be pissed. Yeah. I'd be really pissed. And I was talking about this with somebody a couple of weeks ago where it's like, you never want to tell a company or, you know, wealthy people what to do with their money, but it's like, if they're making that much, it's like, it, it's, it's just a tough look because everyone else below you who's doing the physical work isn't like, not to say they're not getting compensated, but like you could have taken like, instead of 212 million, 200 and that 12 million distributed across X amount of workers. Like, I don't know. And again, like, I'm not sure of Amazon's like, what Amazon worker gets stock options or, you know, what other benefits that they get? Like I, I'm not, you know, fluent in Amazon, <laughs> the Amazon code of conduct and what they get in an offer package. But if they're complaining about wages and stuff, and then you have a guy who's granted, it's probably not an easy job and it's a tough act to follow with Jeff Bezos, but that's a lot of money. It is. It's a lot of it's money. It's a lot of money. 212 million bucks, man. The, you can do a lot of damage with that i'd be comfortable with that for like five minutes though because i'd buy like a shit ton of mansions and a yacht and stuff like dude no that's I, just the way it i is. don't think you realize how <laughs> like you just no, said that's what i'm, you, I'm yeah. very blatantly joking but like but no yes, seriously I, like, that's like 
yeah, yeah, I'll just buy a bunch of mansions and a boat. You just dropped a bucket. It's like, congrats, you spent like $10 million. <laughs> Off your two, tw- that is unfathomable money to me. It like, doesn't make I, any- I will just yeah. say it. I can't fathom $212 million. Like Money doesn't make like, it. What would you do with that cash? Obviously, it's not all cash, but. Yeah, but you can probably sell fucking a boatload of his stocks every year. That's true. And then you get like, dude, even if you sold, what was it like 10 million a year, you're set for at least 20 years. 10 yeah. million a year for 20 years. That then you're, and uh, that's assuming it doesn't go up. You know, let's, it probably doubles and you can keep having a recurring revenue stream. He's probably tied like to have some skin in the game though. Oh, probably. You probably can't sell. There's probably a limit on how much you can sell. Um, yeah, whatever. I, I don't, we're going to have to keep our eyes on this because I, I think this could be bad news. Um, and again, pro worker, right? You know, pro common man, but they've got to come up with some solution that they don't piss off these workers. That's, I'm very much of the opinion uh, of that opinion here. Yeah. Uh, if so, I mean, if they don't, <laughs> if they don't start compensating them, they're going to have to start doing um, some side hustles like this dude in Germany. Um Yes, that's an excellent transition. U.S. News reports man in Germany gets 90 COVID shots to sell forged passes. The 60-year-old man allegedly vaccinated himself against COVID 90 times to sell forged vac- vaccination cards. Um, <laughs> like, you think that's a headline from The Onion? Like, I really thought, like, I had to, like, double check to make sure this wasn't, like, posted on April 1st. It's posted on April 3rd. Um, but yeah, a 60 year old man in Germany, who's not very, like, he was just trying to make some more money and wanted to, uh, um, just sell the, sell the, like, it just, it's as simple as that. He wanted to make some money, just kept getting himself vaccinated under four, unforced, um, fake names and then sold those cards. Entrepreneur. So he, listen, entrepreneurship, definition of finding a market opportunity and the market opportunity is that German cases of COVID are up insanely high over the past couple of weeks. So instead of just getting the shot, I mean, that's kind of like, I mean, this guy's going to grow a third arm in like a year. (laughs) Like that just can't be healthy. I don't care how healthy the vaccine is for you. 90 times? 90 times if i had 90 vitamin c gummies right now i'd go into like comatose that's what dude i could go get goalie who's a former affiliate of ours um i could have 90 goalie gummies and be sick and i'd probably throw up yeah like violently so it's like and then you put a drug, like, well, not a drug but like a, an inactive virus or like mrna inside your body i mean that uh, and I want to get a flag for misinformation here by our, our friends at Anchor, but I mean, like that, there's no shot that's healthy. None. No, no. But yeah, I mean, I guess the German police have started conducting a lot of raids um, just with like forgery and vaccination passports. So he's just selling real, pa- he's just selling the real passports. This guy was 62, like... Like, good for him. He's trying to sell. What do you think he was selling these at? It doesn't say in the article, right? I can't see it. I mean, like, maybe like $50. Like, maybe like 
Dude, I feel for, like it's cheap. He sells them for 50, what the hell is the currency, a euro in Germany? See, yeah. If he sells them for 50 bucks, that's almost five grand. I mean, yeah, I mean, he has to forward on money. Right. I mean, that like that's so not like if you're telling me like, oh yeah, I'll give you five thousand bucks, but you have to go get vaccinated ninety times. I mean, he's probably hurt like, because like he's probably hurt him because uh, Germany had a pipeline with Russia. Like, oh, yeah. they they imported mo- like majority of their gas from Russia. Uh, right. So I don't know what how much. Let's see how much gas in Germany is. Probably expensive. So, no, five fifty-seven in Frankfurt, USD. That is. Yeah, I'm seeing. Yeah, that's expensive. Five fifty. Yeah, I've seen. Because it's the taxes on gas. That's the thing. Yeah, up to like six dollars a gallon, like gallon to liter translation. And again, like in Germany, you're on the Um, autobahn, so it's like you're burning fuel left and right. Yeah, the top slow drivers now in Germany because of this. Like the the top gas prices in Europe right now are coming from the Netherlands, Norway, and then Italy, and then you've got like Denmark, Belgium, Sweden, UK, and then Germany. Dude, you want to get gas in Amsterdam? You're paying six fifty a gallon. It's like California, but worse. Everyone, Everyone just bikes. Yeah, I think like there's the taxes are like insanely high in the Netherlands anyway, though. They're like higher than most European countries, to my knowledge. So that makes sense. The world we live in. So, bottom line, this man is an entrepreneur, but at what cost? Um, you know, it could be at a third arm, it could be at his health, like his, I, I don't know. Um, I guess time remains to tell the story of this German man. So, we will give a kudos to uh we'll call him entrepreneur of the week uh this guy from germany that gets <laughs> vaccinated 90 times for <laughs> let's call it an somewhere between five and ten thousand euro kudos to you my friend but if i don't flag us we're just reporting the comedy <laughs> we are we're just in the comedy that's all we are doing uh so that's business it took an interesting turn um yeah, good to be back in the business segment here. Let's go to balls. We've got Chris Duhon. He played professionally, of course, for the Knicks, Lakers, Magic, Bulls, a few others. Uh, played with Kobe Bryant, played at Duke, won a national title. Uh, now coaching at Bryant. He's an NEC champion. Add that to his resume. So we talk with him about Coach K. We talk with him about playing with Kobe. We talk with him about a lot of other stuff, what he's learned from coaching and just uh, what he's doing now. So let's get right into it. Here is former NBA player and former national champion, Chris Duhon. All right, everybody with us this week, we got a beers, business and balls and college hoop digest com- combination interview right here with a college hoops legend himself, Chris Duhon. You heard the name. I mean, former Duke point guard, 2001 NCAA championship, ACC rookie of the year. The accolades go on. NBA talent, and of course, now currently the director of scouting and video analysis for our Bryant University Bulldogs. Um, was hoping for a Cinderella story, but that's all right. They made it to the dance. But Chris, welcome onto the podcast. We appreciate it. And uh, how's everything going? Uh, good, good. Uh, obviously, just getting excited for this weekend. Um, I'm definitely be down there 
Uh, it's going to be an epic, epic atmosphere. So uh, looking forward to it. Yes, the final four down in Louisiana, New Orleans. We're excited. So we'll just kick it off there. I mean, you went to the final four twice and the 16, the sweet 16 twice uh, mixed up a few ACC championships as well. But how cool was it for you in a new role to uh, get back to March Madness um, from the different lens? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was awesome, uh, you know, to with the guys that and I'm, I'm assuming you're talking with Bryant. Um, Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, he as a player, obviously our, you know, our expectations were, uh, you know, championship or bus, um, you know, as a player. So then, you know, being a coach uh, when, you know, you're at a kind of a small school and a smaller conference, uh, you know, for me, I had to take a step back and just really, really enjoy uh, the process of, you know, the guys getting better, going through all the ups and downs, you know, eventually, you know, coming together as a team, growing as a team and growing on and on the court. And, you know, I just wanted them to experience uh, something that, you know, they'll be able to take for the rest of their lives. And, you know, that's being the first team to win a conference championship, you know, regular season tournament championship and, you know, you know, obviously get a berth to the NCAA tournament and, uh, just to see those guys grow throughout the whole year. Uh, I mean, it was very, very special. So we'll, we'll talk about your role at Brian a little bit later on, but Wright State, I mean, you're the, you're the director of scouting, you know, what did the, uh, what did the reports say and what were the key things that you guys kind of learned from that, uh, that experience, that loss and, you know, uh, going to March Madness and, and playing a, a really good team in Wright State. Yeah. I mean, you know, for us, I mean, they, they just, they just beat us. I don't think we played our best game. Um, you know, especially offensively, uh, but, you know, they just beat us. And then, you know, we, we were able to, uh, you know, tie the game up, you know, had a nice play coming up uh, at the start of the second half, we got the dunk and then they went on that 8-0 run and, you know, we just wasn't able to, you know, to recover from that. Um, I think we kind of started to panic, started to, you know, put the weight on the world on every shot. Um, and, you know, it kind of hurt us, you know, in a way, but, uh, you know, I think our, our game plan was, you know, we knew kind of what they're going to do. We knew who they were. Um, you know, they just made more shots than us. You know, guys that normally don't make, you know, a lot of threes from them, you know, did or made threes like in crucial situations. And uh, we just wasn't able to, you know, overcome it that night. Still exciting to see as Brian alumni, uh, as Jake and I, I mean, it was cool to see it on the big screen. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit on, but at the NEC championship game, we saw you uh, hacking up some threes. You still got it in you. <laughs> yeah, with, with the suit on too, with by the, the way. With the suit on, you rolled yeah. the sleeves up. We just, I, got a, I got a shot of you draining the three, but that was that was nice. Um, but let's bring it back to the full story of Chris Duhon. You know, growing up, basketball was part of your upbringing. Uh, down in uh, Slidell, Louisiana, went to high school and then right off to Duke. Uh, tell us about that experience. I mean, you were thrown right into the fire. You backed up Jason Williams as the point guard, played a crucial role um, in the national championship. Just tell us your time at Duke in uh, a few short words and how special was those moments with Coach K in particular? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was great. I mean, being in Louisiana, Louisiana's, you know, more of a football state. So, uh, you know, for me to be able to, you know, showcase my talent and, you know, have the opportunity to get, uh, recruited by Duke was, you know, kind of a blessing in its own way. Uh, you know, getting there, I mean, you know, right away, I mean, coaches, you know, very intense. Um, I think, you know, the team before had a sour taste in their mouth. 
uh, from exiting. I think they lost to Florida in the Sweet 16 the year before. And, uh, you know, you know, as soon as I stepped on campus, you can feel the intensity that, you know, they let one slip and that, you know, we're going to work. Our goal is to win a national championship. And I know having those guys, you know, Shane Battier and Nate James as our seniors and our leader, and then, you know, mixing the, the great talent of Jay Will and Mike Dunleavy's Boozer, uh, you know, I just wanted to go in and do my role, do my part and, you know, stay out of those guys' way. And, uh, you know, we were able to go on a great run and, you know, the journey was great. It wasn't, you know, with, you know, every team that makes it to the tournament, you know, you're always going to have your ups and downs and, um, you know, late in that year, Carlos broke his foot and, you know, we were kind of like, oh, you know, that's it, kind of depressed. But then the next day, coach came in there with, you know, so much energy and was excited and was like, you know, here's what we're going to do. If you guys believe in me and believe in everything I say and do what I say, we're going to win a national championship. And, you know, from that day on, you know, we just believed in him and he made a few changes and we banded together as a team and uh, we were able to do something really, really special and win it all. So a lot of people forget you played in two just absolutely epic games against Maryland 2001 too. It was a miracle minute at Cold Fieldhouse and then you guys came back by 20 in the final four too. So Maryland was one of those opponents you know, kind of liken it to, to Wagner this year for Bryant, right? Where you knew what you were going to get from him. You knew there were going to be epic battles. Um, what was it about that? You can call it a rivalry, I guess, that year that kind of just gave you guys an edge against the Terps. Yeah, I mean, we also uh, beat them in the semifinals in the ACC tournament with the tip-in. Oh, end that's right. Too, that's so. crazy. Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we, had, uh, we had a lot of epic games that year. Um, I mean, I think with them, they, like, we just matched up perfectly I mean whatever everything that we did good they did good I mean they had a great point guard play in Steve Blake uh you know great scorer in Juan Dixon they had a, a versatile four man in Terrence Morris who can step out shoot the three also post up they had uh Lenny Baxter uh in in the post that matches up perfectly with Carlos so you know we just perfectly you know matched up and then you know they had Brian, Brandon Mouton as well a uh, strong physical defensive wing, uh, you know, who matched up well with, you know, either myself or Dunleavy or uh, Nate James. So we were just perfectly, you know, matched. And it just came down to, you know, whatever team made the more winning plays. And uh, lucky for us, you know, if we made a little bit more. I think, you know, with us coming back at Maryland and then also to tip in, you know, in the ACC uh, tournament, uh, you know, even when we went down 22 um, in the final four game, that semifinal game, you know, we just kept telling ourselves like, you know, you know, we, we're, we got them psychologically beat, you know, if we could just get this thing down, you know, under 10 by halftime, like we're going to be fine. And we were able to do that. And then we were just like, Hey, let's just cut this thing down to three about a four minute mark. And, you know, you know, everything is going to change. This is going to be our game. So, but I mean, it was great battles, great, I mean, it was a great time competing against them, and we had to play our absolute best to beat them. Hey, Chris, I'm Josh from College Hoops Digest. I'm the College Hoops Digest Park. Thanks for coming on. I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the home court advantage that you guys enjoyed at, at Cameron Indoor Stadium, but also how much hate you guys would get on the road. Mm -hmm. what, what was it like playing in an environment you know, that Duke always has sort of that target on his back. And why do you think Duke was hated so much nationally? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, but it was, I mean, it was definitely, 
you know, everywhere we go, it's going to be packed. It's going to be super hate. They're going to try to get under your skin any way they can. Um, you know, I think it started with Leitner. I mean, I think Leitner and that those teams with, you know, Leitner kind of being the bad boy. And then, you know, we're also winning. And, uh, you know, it just, I think it started with him and then just started carrying on to the next and the next and the next. And, uh, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's fun to play in. You know, you know, everywhere you go, you know, they want you to lose. Everybody wants you to lose. And, you know, we, we were just always trying to, we were always really good on the road because I, uh, you know, our motivations was we didn't want people to storm the court, you know, because every time we lost, you know, the fans come and storm the court. So it was like, you know, uh, it was extra motivation for us to win on the road so the fans can, you know, just exit like they're normally supposed to exit and go home. <laughs> now, you got to play in a lot of, you know, incredible arenas and venues, not only in college, but in the NBA as well. But the Cameron Indoor, I mean, we were talking about this before the, the we started recording. It's one of those places it's indescribable. It's it's rich in history. It has that old feel. But from a player's perspective, coming in as a, a young college kid and being able to be, you know, I'm a Duke Blue Devil, I get to play here. But how would you describe that venue in itself from your perspective? I mean, it's like you said, it's an amazing environment. Uh, you know, most people think it's like this huge stadium. And, you know, there's probably more high school basketball gyms that are bigger than Cameron. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, that's what makes it special. Like it just makes it special. Uh, you know, the fans and the, the students are right there on the court and like, you know, they're hooping and hollering and chanting and coming up with funny stuff all throughout the game. And, um, you know, it just feels like everyone's right on top of you. And, you know, when it's packed, it's really, really loud. And, you know, uh, I think they've changed, but we didn't have air conditioning back when I played. So then it got like really, really, really hot. and. You know, for us, we were used to it because we practiced there all the time. But for our visiting team, it was something, you know, later in the game, we kind of used that as our advantage. But, uh, you know, I mean, very, very special place, rich in history. And, uh, you know, I was just very honored to be able to play there and, and compete and win at a high level there. And then, of course, on top of that, you had Coach K. I mean, he is this is this is the final dance, the final dance. If it's not this final four game, it's the championship. Um how was it, you know, coming in as that young college, that young college student as well, um, different playing style, different coaching style. How was that adjustment from you as a player and how do other players, you know, adjust to coach K similarly? Yeah. I mean, one of the main things with coach K is that he, he doesn't really, he doesn't give you anything. He makes you earn it, but he also tells you the path on how to earn it. So, you know, coming in there, obviously I knew how to be coming off the bench and, he was like, you know, you have to earn your minutes and you earn your minutes by, you know, every sprint, every, everything you do in the weight room, you know, every extra shot that you get, you know, in every practice. So, uh, you know, and we made practice important. I mean, I know for the, you know, my four years there, a lot of the times the practices were harder than the games and, you know, that's how you have to do to prepare yourself. And, uh, you know, you just learn so many life lessons throughout the whole time. Um, he's very honest with you. He's very intense, uh, but at the same time, he's very loving and he's going to support you in every way that's possible for you to succeed at the highest level. And, you know, with that, you build the culture. So it just kind of rubs down to the seniors and the seniors know it. So, you know, as a freshman, you know, any, you know, I didn't always have to go to coach K I had, you know, Shane and Nate and, uh, you know, the two walk-ons, JD Simpson and, you know, Ryan called back to be like, Hey, you know, this is how we do things here. This is a, 
the level expectation expectation. So, you know, you got to meet that. And, you know, once you have that culture, it just makes it easy to where, you know, coach just has to coach basketball. You know, we all held each other accountable as far as preparation, doing what we need to do to get better, you know, and playing at a high level. And, you know, coach just got to coach basketball. So what was his pitch to you? Like, you know, you were a, a scorer in high school, right? You were a pure shooter, you know, you were scoring left and right. Um, became, you know, obviously I'm not trying to tell you how you played your game, right? But it was, uh, you know, you became more pass first at Duke, right? You were, you're more of a traditional point guard, right? So was that part of the pitch kind of, right? Was it like, you know, here's the player you can become, you can evolve in these skills or, you know, how, uh, you know, basically what did Coach K kind of promise you out of this Duke experience and how did he influence you as the time went on too? I mean, where his pitch was that, you know, basically I was the piece missing from them winning a the national championship. Um, uh, I mean, really wasn't really anything basketball wise or, you know, what my role was going to be there. Uh, but he was just like, you're the only point guard that I'm recruiting. And, uh, you know, like, <laughs> and that, you know, that was it. He's like, I'm not recruiting Andre Barrett or Omar Cook or any of these guys. Like, you know, you're the only guy that I'm recruiting. And, uh, you know, and even in high school, I've played and then my AAU teams, you know, I played with Mo Williams, who would join the Cavs and played in the NBA for a long time. So, he, you know, playing with another guard was something that I was used to. So playing with Jay Williams, um, you know, I've already experienced it in high school and also, you know, with the AAU circuit. Uh, so when I, you know, took my visit, you know, we just, you know, naturally matched. And, uh, you know, coming into my freshman year, you know, again, you know, I was a role guy, just, hey, you know, get Jay shots, <laughs> get Shane shots, play good defense, don't turn the ball over, uh, you know, get the ball in the boozer. And, you know, then I had those guys, you know, Shane left the following year, but, you know, it was still Jay Will and Mike Dunleavy and boozer. And, you know, just I just kind of involved, evolved into, okay, you know, my role now is just to, you know, you know, be the point guard, be the facilitator, be the, you know, the captain on offense, be the captain on defense, make sure we're in the right things, make sure guys that are needing to get the ball, get the ball when they need to get the ball. And uh, just kind of kept that going throughout the rest of my career. Chris, the kind of the philosophy may have changed a little bit at Duke over the years where Duke players were kind of like you, where they stuck around for four years, got better, and graduated. But it seemed like Coach Case kind of really honed in on the kind of the one-and-done players here mm -hmm. lately. Uh, what are your feelings on that? And uh, are you surprised that he actually took that route with, you know, going away from the traditional going out for four-year players? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, it, uh, you know, obviously he had to change, you know, but in his head that, you know, he was recruiting those guys anyway. You know, he thought like Grant Hill could have been a one and done. You know, Elton Brand could have been a one and done. Jay Williams could have been a one and done. You know, Carlos Boozer could have been a one and done. You know, Luol Dang was a one and done. Um, uh, but, you know, he also had to change it because a lot of us guys, you know, love college basketball and, you know, wanted to be a part of winning a national championship. And, you know, I, you know, not saying that, you know, a lot of these kids don't, but I don't think it's that important to them as much as, trying to get to the next level. So, you know, he had to adapt in that way because, you know, he's strategic in, you know, who he recruits. Like, you know, you could put the top 20 high school players on a list and he's not recruiting all 20 of those guys. Like he actually goes and watches and sees what they do on and off the court. And like, so he handpicks which guys that he's going to go and recruit. And I think he had to adjust to that. So he's still getting the guys that, 
you know, fit the Duke culture, but also understanding like, hey, you know, like, you know, we're on a platform to where you can showcase your skills. You know, I've been doing the USA basketball thing. So like now, you know, I can, you know, I have the better tools to help you, you know, become a pro faster and quicker. And, um, you know, and he was just smart enough into being able to make that adjustment. I know he was relentless. You know, it was something that he really want, didn't want to do uh, because he loves Duke so much and he wants, you know, us to all, you know, graduate and experience the whole four years at Duke. But he understand that, you know, that's where the culture was moving and he just, you know, shift his focus into, okay, how can I help you get to your dream quicker? Yeah, because, I mean, you, you mentioned that. It's like how wild would it have been to have, like, Zion and RJ four years yeah. at Duke? But it's like... <laughs> Actually, you know, they were still there with Paolo and all those guys. Oh would have been, yeah, that, I mean, that's a powerhouse that can win, sure. but it, it makes sense that next step. So, but you did mention a bunch of other players um, that you played with and also just Duke, uh, Duke alumni. And uh, most of you made it back to his final game at Cameron. Um, it wasn't the outcome that everyone wanted, but I mean, how was that experience and the pageantry behind that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a little busy. I was supposed to be there, but uh, we had to win a, you know, semi-final game to get to the conference championship. Oh, but, uh, that's right. I thought you were there. I thought, uh, yeah, that, that timeline does not add up. I'll rescind that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I was, I was planning on going, so I requested my ticket. I mean, because we usually played, uh, you know, all our games on the weekend were always like, you know, 12, 1 or 2 o'clock. So I was hoping we were going to get that, and then I was going to fly out right after the game. Oh, um, damn. But we got moved to six, so uh, you know I wasn't able to do that. I had uh, more important business to take care of. Yeah, the priorities, <laughs> absolutely. To take but care of Mount, which <laughs> that that was mission accomplished there. Yeah. But uh, but uh, you know I kept in touch, touch with those guys. Those guys were Facetiming me the whole time, and uh, the experience was great. I mean, one is just you get to you know reconnect with you know former teammates and guys that you used to watch and. Uh, you know, you get together and tell stories and, you know, enjoy the whole experience. And then uh, obviously it was Carolina. So we were hoping for a different outcome. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it was still, you know, great to be around uh, those guys. I know they were, this is our feeling. That it was great to be around everybody, catch back up and, you know, be around and coach those you know, few days. But, you know, we get a, get a chance to pay them back, you know, on Saturday. So uh, looking forward for that. <clears throat> Well, to follow that up a little bit, uh, is it meaningful? How much meaningful is it to you that I be believe this is the first time Duke's played in the Final Four in New Orleans under Coach K? So, is it yeah. meaningful to you that it, this is in your home state and it's against Carolina for the first time <laughs> in tournament history? Yeah. I mean, you're, you said you're going, right? You're going to yeah, go to this? I'm definitely going. Yeah, no, definitely. So, uh, you know, I well, had the opportunity. What emotions do you have? going into this this game I mean are you on pins and needles this entire week I think it really won't hit me until I get there uh you know but you know once I get you know because that's home and you know we had an opportunity my junior year uh but we ended up losing to Kansas in the sweet 16 uh, I was in New Orleans my junior year um but yeah I mean for me to be able to be home you know for meeting North Carolina for the first time in the tournament um you know and then you know obviously the and the opportunity to win and get to the national championship. I mean, it's just going to be a whole bunch of mixed emotions. Uh, it's going to be a lot of trash talking because I know a lot of guys on that other side. So I'm going to definitely uh, let them know how I feel about the event. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we're able to, you know, let coach ride off into the sunset as 
uh, a national champion for the, the sixth time. Follow up question. Do you have an extra ticket for Saturday? <laughs> uh, unrelated. <laughs> One, maybe three unrelated, more. Totally unrelated. unrelated. Uh, the phone's been blowing up uh, already. So yeah, I'm trying to work as many miracles as I can right now. Right, right. <laughs> No, that'll well, be. Oh no, no, Josh. What were you saying? Well, you know, now, regardless of what happens, Tuesday morning, a new era begins with John Shire as as coach of Duke. Do you think uh, he's going to get some space, you know, to kind of do his own thing, or do you think there's going to be, you know, it's, there's so much pressure to kind of follow the man? Like I always said, like you never want to be the coach that the the coach's name is on the uh, basketball floor. You know, kind of like what happened to Turgeron in Maryland when it's Coach Williams' floor. Yeah. It says Coach K on the court. Do you think John's going to have enough space to be able to do his own thing? Or do you think if you, you know, if they start out slow, do you think the pressure will just ratchet up and it'll become really tough for him? Yeah, no, I think, I think he will be fine. I think he will definitely have enough space, especially, you know, being on, you know, assistant with coach on the coach for, you know, all the years that he's been. Uh, you know, coaches has been preparing him for this for this moment. And, uh, you know, he had a few times this year where, you know, he had to, you know, be the head coach for a little bit. And uh, I mean, I think it's a smooth transition because, you know, with the class coming in, like he, he's the one that was recruiting those guys. So like he already has a relationship with the recruits that are coming in and with the guys that are coming in. And uh, so I think it's just a smooth transition. And, you know, he's going to be his own guy. And that's why I think one of the things coach loves about him that, you know, John's going to be his own guy. He's not going to try to emulate everything coach K's does. Like once K leaves, like he's going to try to put his stamp and his handprint uh, on the program, his way. And uh, I think with our AD, uh, Nina, like she's done nothing but gave him all the support in the world and, and wants him to do that. So I think it's going to be a smooth transition. And I think John is going to do an amazing job. Do you think coach K is going to be around or do you think he's just not going to show, show up like after for a little bit? You know what I mean? Like there's some yeah. coaches are still actively involved after they retire. And there's some coaches that just, you know, kind of right off in the sunset and you'll see him here and there for like a reunion. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll see him here and there. I mean, I think he's going to try to, you know, make it John's team. Like, you know, if he's constantly showing up, then there's like, Oh, coach must still be helping John out or da, 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 da whatever. Right. Instead of, hey, you know, I've, I've done my part. I retired now. I mean, his grandson still is on the team. So uh, I mean, he's going he's gonna to show up for some games, I'm yeah. pretty sure. But um, I think he's going to try to give John his space and then just, you know, enjoy retirement, enjoy being, you know, a, a grandfather and that type of stuff. What was his quote, too? He said, I want nothing to do with this program, too. Didn't he say that a few weeks ago? He's like, I want to be out of here. You know, yeah, he I says mean, it now, but you never know. You know, right. truly I mean, this never was know. his life for 40 something years. So it's going to be hard to uh, clear out the office after. He definitely has a permanent office. <laughs> you oh, know, it's got to be the, the key. Imagine card that's in. like, all right, K, you got to get out of the office, yeah, dude. Right. He's got to pay, pay for parking now. He's got to take Duhon's parking pass after. Yeah, that. Uh, I, they took mine as soon as I graduated. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got to walk uh, in Uber like everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Chris, let's head to your MBA days now. I mean, not only did you get to play for a historic college, you were part of a few historic franchises. I mean, the Bulls, Knicks, and Lakers, that's that's pretty, pretty cool. Um, you know, between winning the first playoff series since the Jordan era and the Bulls and being a part of um, a few different teams that had some, you know, very recognizable players, you know, what stood out to you the most? Not only the transition from college to the NBA, but any particular moments or, um, you know, games that stick out to you um i mean for me it was that my my rookie year i mean um you know playing we were i mean we were so young um uh, kirk heimrich was in his second year uh ben gordon myself lou aldane andres nocioni drafted that year yet you, you know tyson chandler and eddie curry you know although it was their fourth year but you know they came straight out of high school so you know i'm older than both of them um and so we were just real young trying to compete and like find our ways. And I think with a tough coach like Scott Skiles was, um, I mean, he just, you know, from the get go, we worked, we worked, we worked, we got better, you know, kind of in a way reminded me of this Bryant team, you know, here where we took our lumps early. Um, you know, we started off 0-9, like didn't know what was going to happen. Then we were like 4-15 and 15, and then, you know, all of a sudden in December, you know, we figured it out. And, you know, we had like the best December and then we ended up, you know, having the third best record in the East. Um, so it was, you know, just that whole process of guys, you know, staying together, sticking with him, trusting coach, you know, you know, playing hard every night. Uh, you know, that was that year right there was one of the best years I've had. Yeah, and you were playing with a lot of ballers, obviously, you just mentioned, but, um, you know, we could probably have a whole podcast about just, you know, Kobe and his influence of the game. You got to play for him, you know, with him for for a, a bit, um, you know, in, in a couple words, what did he teach you about the game? I mean, what that experience must have been surreal, given, you know, the the illustrious career he had. So how was that experience as well? Yeah, I mean, for him, I mean, he just pays attention to every every little detail. Um, you know, if you just watch him, you know, how he works, how he prepares, how he approaches games, um, you know, how he's always studying games and, you know, looking for the next chess piece. I mean, like, you know, he comes in from halftime and like, you know, they give him a computer and like he's already watching all his shots, seeing how the team is defending them, seeing where the help is coming. Like, you know, he's always, you know, thinking ahead and like trying to look for the next move. And um, you know, just the way he prepares uh, and how he pays attention to detail is just, you know, that's what makes him so special. And you know, only few people can do it at the level that that he does it at. Dude, with the Lakers, you had so much star power on that team. You know, you had, you had Gasol, Kobe, obviously, Metal World Peace. Uh, you did mention Steve Blake, who <laughs> with the Maryland, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. He was on that. He was on that team as well. It kind of was that the most that team that roster that I mentioned. I'm sure I'm missing people. Was that the most kind of talented group you've ever played with in your entire career? Uh, I mean, as far as talent wise, yeah. I mean, close. The Orlando Magic team was pretty talented too. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it was just you know, I don't, I just, I don't think it it didn't mix. You know, you had Dwight Howard and you had Gasol yeah. and you had Steve Nash and you had uh, what, you know, Nash was hurt pretty much most of the year. Um, you had Antoine Jamison, you know, like you said, Steve, like the, the, the name level and the star power was there is just 
you know, the system that we were running, you know, we just didn't, we just didn't melt our mesh together. You know, it was just a lot of parts that were the same. And, you know, a lot of guys that, you know, were asked to sacrifice who didn't want to sacrifice. And, um, you know, it was just, uh, yeah, it just, it just, it just didn't work. And, uh, and you had some coaching changes too, right? And, right. And Mike yeah. Brown was out after a couple of weeks. So. Yeah. Five games in and he was out. And then you bring uh, Coach D'Antoni in and that's a whole different system. And, you know, something that obviously Nash was comfortable with, but, you know, he was injured pretty much that whole year. So mm-hmm. um, he didn't play much. And then, you know, Kobe took it on himself to, you know, take the point guard role, but then it kind of made Gasol become a stretch four and start shooting more threes than, instead of getting him into the block. And then, you know, Dwight didn't want to come out and set ball screens anymore. He just wanted the ball on the block. And it was just a whole, whole big mess, uh, you know, going <laughs> on with that. So uh, a lot of, a lot of egos. And then you just have meta being meta. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just causing havoc, just to cause havoc. Cause he don't have nothing else to do. <laughs> it's kind of like the Lakers accurate. now. It's kind of like the yeah. Lakers now. It's like. In a way it is. Yeah. <laughs> But they're all old now, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Funny. The next podcast will all be all about meta world peace. Right? <laughs> we can do Chris Duhon just talking about meta. Totally. About, about. Love, love meta, man. Love yeah. meta. He's, he's crazy. <laughs> uh. So now we head back into your now second college career. You know, once as a player, now in the in the coaching staff. I mean, right after the NBA, you, you had some opportunities, but – this year, how did the opportunity come about to head to Rhode Island? I mean, have you ever heard of Smithfield, Rhode Island in the first place? And, uh, you know, how did, how did this opportunity come that you, uh, you know, you get to work with uh, Coach Grasso? Yeah, so, I mean, I've known Coach Grasso for a while, just on the recruiting circuit. Um, you know, one of my best friends, Andy Borman, was actually Coach K's nephew. He runs the New York Rens the, and uh, Nike team. So, them two became close as well. Um, and then, you know, actually, you know, I reached out to him uh, before the pandemic, you know, to have the opportunity to come and coach with him. And then, but with the pandemic, you know, things got, you know, money issues and, you know, things like that came about to where, uh, you know, we wasn't able to make it happen. Um, and then just, you know, this summer just kind of went back on him. It's like, hey, like, you know, I'm just kind of looking for a volunteer job just to keep myself busy, keep myself active. And he was, you know, all for it. So we were able to make that work out. And um, and he always knew, you know, that he had a great mind for the game. And, you know, just to be there personally and watch, you know, how he prepares and, you know, how he thinks about the game, you know, 24-7. Like, I'm getting texts. You get texts from him, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. Like, what do you think about this play? Or did you see this play? And, like, you know, he's just, you know, loves the game of basketball. And it was fun to be around him and, and go through this experience with him as well. So your title says director of scouting and video analysis. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, if the rumors I hear are true, you know, you're doing far more than just breaking down film. Uh, you know, that, that brain of yours filled with basketball knowledge is, is really, you know, doing a lot more than kind of what your title says. So what's a day in the life for you? You know, obviously there's some mentorship I'm sure that's involved, you know, some, some player development, things like that. So, so, you know, what's uh, what's day to day for Chris Duhon in this capacity? I mean, yeah, no, I mean, really, it is a lot of film because uh, I'm not really allowed to be on the court, uh, you know, with my, but, you know, I'm there at the practices, you know, when the guys come out on the side, like, you know, I bring them to the side, tell them what I see, 
those type of things, you know, we record every practice. So, you know, individual film study, studies with guys just like, you know, help them get better and see what their strengths are, see what their weaknesses are. Um, obviously scouting games, scouting other opponents, you know, scouting ourselves, see what we, where we could get better and see what we have to do to get better and where we get shots, you know, where we make more shots at on the left side of the court or right side or guys driving to their right or driving to their left. Uh, just breaking down all those things. And, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, during games, just, you know, making in-game adjustments. Like if, you know, if I see some Coach Grasso um, is great at, you know, listening to the staff and making adjustments on the fly. And if, you know, he trusts us or we see something, um, you know, he has no problem taking, you know, what we suggest and, you know, trying to implement it. So, uh, you know, it was, it was great. You know, you know, we're there early and, you know, we're there late, you know, so we're, you know, there from nine, but we got guys come in and get shots late. So usually nine to nine is, you know, you know, a kind of our work schedule just with, you know, breaking down film and guys getting extra work and with practice and, and things like that. You know, we just, a lot of guys love the game of basketball. And, you know, when you're around that type of group of people, just, you know, time just kind of flies and you're like, Oh, it was nine o'clock. <laughs> So you see y'all tomorrow for another night. <laughs> do you, Chris, do you notice anything when you're going, you know, when you're talking to the players or anything else? I notice the older I get, the more I, I tend to think I sound like my dad all of a sudden, like, <laughs> you know, I think it just comes with, with age, but like, do you notice when you're talking to players, you're like, that's the same thing coach K said to me or mm -hmm. something like that. Is there, do you, has he rubbed off on you when you're teaching? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I use a lot of the lessons I learned from him, you know, to tell these guys, uh, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, tape it back a little bit just because, uh, you know, you know, not to say, but, you know, Duke is kind of a different level than, you know, what we were having Bryant. Uh, right. So it was, kind of, you know, a different type of mindset, you know, like our mindset was completely different, you know, than, you know, the mindset that they had there. But, um, you know, at the same time, like, you know, you know, I find myself saying a lot of things that he used to say, but I'm also smart enough to try to keep it in their lingo as well. So it kind of becomes, you know, mine, that it, even though it's his, it kind of be, it changes, it becomes mine. So they must think I'm very, very smart when they don't know that I'm really telling them what Coach K used to tell me just in a different way. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think St. Peter's might have set the bar for uh, mid-major schools to uh, you know get on Duke's level after yeah. after this wow. last week. You know, I, yeah. mean, I mean they had an amazing run. And, yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of the tournament. Like it's right. the beauty of the tournament that you guys can get hot and play well at the right time, and you know anything can happen. Hey, do you notice any similarities in coaching between uh, uh, Jared Grosso and uh, Coach K? They already uh, share some same traits with each other. Uh, both very intense. Uh, you know, I had Coach K when he was younger, so he was just as active as Gross is on the bench now. You know, now he's older. He's usually he sits down or he early stands up during, uh, you know, TV timeouts. But you know, <laughs> he wasn't like that when, <laughs> you know, when I was there. So, um, I mean, both do a great job of preparing. Um, you know, Gross is more offensive minded. Um, into where Coach K was more defensive minded. Uh, but as far as preparation and, you know, you know, with this scout, like I felt that we was very prepared for every team that we played, you know, same when I was a player at Duke, you know, any team that we played for with the scouting and stuff that they did, I felt that I was very prepared that there was nothing that uh, we didn't go over or anything new that, 
you know, we didn't go over, we knew what teams were going to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's their little differences here and there, but I think what makes them both really, really good is their attention to detail and their preparation, you know, for, for each game. Right on, right on. I mean, Chris, this has been great. And uh, we appreciate it. a couple more questions. We'll head to March Madness. I'm not going to put you on the spot because I know you're going to say Duke's going to beat UNC. So we'll head to the other side of the bracket. Um, I won't even say score prediction. I don't want the bad juju. We're just going to, well, Duke's going to the, until we're going to the championship in this. In Let's this just assume Duke's in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Even though that helps Jake's bracket the most, I will give it to him. I'll give it to you. So on the other side, I mean, we're looking at, you know, two teams, anything that you see anybody you like in particular you know who do you who do you root for oh i mean we don't root for anybody you know well i mean like okay any predictions (laughs) whoever wants it come get it uh you know i'm kind of is i'm kind of sad in a way because you know villanova uh, lost one of their key guys uh so they're not going to be full strength like i really was looking forward to seeing that game with both teams full strength i thought that was going to be and it still probably will because uh, Coach Wright does a great job of getting his guys prepared and, you know, it's going to be that next man up mentality. Um, but I think losing him hurts them just a little bit as far as scoring. And also he was really, really good defensively as well. Um, you know, two kind of different styles. You know, Kansas wants to get up and down uh, and play fast. Villanova wants to, you know, play slow and grind it out. Uh, so I think it's going to be a great chess match. I think whoever – Whichever team uh, is able to, you know, control the tempo of the game is going to win that game. Um, and, you know, I'm leaning more to Kansas now just because of the injuries uh, that Villanova uh, has suffered. All right. There it is. Kansas. And, you know, we won't even ask you to predict uh, the final two. Like, Kansas, <laughs> if it's Kansas-Duke, I'm not throwing it out there because look at your shirt. I mean, you got a Duke shirt on, so there you go. It's all good. It's oh, listen. Yeah. If I were, if Bryant were in the finals, even if I didn't think they'd win, you'd damn well agree I'd pick him. <laughs> you know, like we all would. It's, well, I mean, it's like I said, it's already it's already a historic one. So you know, if Duke plays Kansas and he wins again. His first national championship was against mm-hmm. Kansas, and his last right. will be against Kansas. So yep. you know, then not- also you, in theory, if he gets there too and put in place, Kansas, Will and I were talking about this on our podcast today. He beats two guys that replaced Roy, yeah. um, you know, Bill self at Kansas. And then, uh, and then Hubert down at, uh, down at Carolina. So that's how full circle would that be? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> hey, uh, crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Icing on the cake. Exactly. Right. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Duhon. I mean, this, this has been awesome. It's good to go inside your mind, Chris, as always uh, good seeing you in Smithfield this year too. Um, where can our listeners keep up with you guys? Uh, Bryant hoops and, and all that stuff. How can they uh, see the good things you guys are doing? Oh, shoot. I'm not great on social media. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just Brian hoops anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Any I mean, of it. And probably, probably on you'll your... probably find it better faster than I do. So <laughs> I'm going to leave that responsibility for you, but make sure you guys check out Brian and follow us. Coach is doing great things there. Um, and you know, the team is, uh, they're already in the gym working now. So uh, getting ready for next year, like, you know, that's what type of group of kids that we've had. Uh, you know, they tasted it a little bit and like now they want more. So they understand like, you know, to get over that hump, you got to work even harder than you did, you know, the year before. So they're already in there working. But, you know, when you find all that social media, Instagram, Twitter, that'll be great. Follow those guys. Those guys do an amazing job. And, uh, 
you know, coach is doing a great job with that program. Hey, our third college, uh, our third Bryant Hoops guest. We got Grasso, we had Chris Duhon, and we had Timmy Kiggins, the legend. (laughs) The legend. But no, Chris, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Uh, Enjoy the summer. Enjoy the tournament game. You know, have fun down at home, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Good luck, Chris. Good luck this weekend. Go Duke, man. Yes. That was just Chris Duhon. Uh, sorry about the Blue Devils. Hell of an interview. Great story. Uh, we appreciate him taking the time. And the Chris Duhon interview is presented by Manscaped, as they always present our ball segment. Uh, head to manscaped.com house for 20% off plus free shipping. We've talked about the Lawnmower 4.0. We've talked about all of their products. Your balls will thank you later. Go try them out yourself. Get the 20% off plus free shipping using the code house at manscaped.com. And that was baseball. Well, well, we'll start with basketball because as this airs, do not deprive us of this. Yes, <laughs> we are now we are now done today. As this episode airs, the national championship, number eight seed UNC versus number one seed Kansas. The line is four, four and a half. Over under one fifty one. I kind of like UNC. I kind of like UNC. Um, they had, I believe a pretty tough, it's hard to like say in comparison, I think they had a tougher path than Kansas. I really Mm. think they did. They had to knock down Baylor. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They had to knock down Baylor, uh, UCLA, Cinderella, St. Pete's, and then ACC rival coach K's last game against Duke. That's, you know, shout out to Hubert Davis. And Honestly. here's the thing. They also did beat, like, I remember we were talking about this last night. When North Carolina and Marquette came out, everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, Marquette. I thought I had Marquette. I had Marquette. And that's a valid take because they've got some talent. Justin Lewis probably could have won Big East Player of the Year. Um, but that was one of those that uh, when Marquette got that draw, I'm like, they are fucked they're fucked because that's like they could have drawn god who are the other eight seed it was like san diego state boise all that stuff marquette would have been in the next round if they had played one of those right yeah. um instead no you gotta get basketball was and how shaka smart led the team that marquette was going to do much better i thought yeah, like i mean they crushed providence like a few months ago too so, so i was like they're, you know they're like, a legit team but 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 that's the thing i mean kudos to the Kudos to North Carolina. I mean, I think they have two of the best guys in the tournament right now, which is uh, Armando Baycott and Caleb Love, who yeah. I will be taking a prop bet on again uh, for the second time in a row. I want some money. Uh, over-under is two and a half, three-point field goals. He had, I believe the final number was five last night. Oh, that's funny. I'll take, I'll take uh, um, Armando's rebound props too. Because that's I one thing. He's is the is he okay? He is said he, like, he said unless his he loses his right leg, he's playing. He did say that. I just don't know. Ah, oh, shit. It's like the guys like that. Okay, Caleb Love had three field goals or three point three three point field goals. It was Gillespie that had five, but still yeah. he took ten. I'm taking Caleb Love uh, with that one. I mean, he made six against UCLA. It's a big game, Caleb Love, man. He's uh, he's he's not gonna let this one slip here. 
Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, the Baycott rebounds could be interesting. Well, I think um, just UNC in general knows how to crash the glass. They know how to bring the boards down, and that could be a big difference maker with Kansas if Kansas isn't these – Listen, like the past few games, like Kansas has been shooting fine. They are a very good defensive team. I was going to say, not, they're just, and they're cleaning the boards though too because they're big. Because they're big. Right. So, I mean, we'll just talk about like the Kansas side first. Like we said it on the podcast, we talked about it on the Twitter spaces. We thought Villanova was going to come out much better, but the Justin Moore injury showed that. Gassed, gassed. And I will say, though, Kansas has played teams this tournament missing key players. UNC is coming in. I mean, we don't know Armando Baycott's Baycott's, uh, status right now, but they're full. You know, they have their guys. They just coming off a high of high, putting Coach K into retirement. I kind of like that. I do hear you. I just think everything about the matchup favors Kansas right now. I know. Um, I, and I, I doubted Kansas very much. Again, we talked about it last week. Iowa was the sexy pick. There was so much in the nation taking them. I'm like, oh, of course they'll beat Kansas. No, they didn't even beat Richmond. Can't believe it. So, uh, let's see. I think Kansas – Kansas uh, beats the spread. That's my that's my take. I don't like the over under though. I don't. It's at one fifty two and a half. I'm taking the under. I have the under. That just seems a little too high. I have. Um, what was the score? Kansas Villanova was the over hit on that. One forty. Yes, it was definitely the over. I think it was one forty six. Duke UNC ended up. That was an over as well, I think, by like four points. Um, I don't know. It just seems just seems too high. So give me the under there. I say Kansas wins 72 to 65. And I think UNC's luck runs dry. Now, you know, so let me up it. I'm going to go 70, 78-70. Or 78-72. 78-72 is going to be the final. Kansas. They're coming at 150. It push it like gets close to pushing the over-under, but it doesn't. 76, that's my 76-73. UNC. You basically it's like almost the same thing. You think they're gonna yeah. cover though. Basically. I think, I think, I think UNC is gonna win. Wow. I think oh, was, you're flipping it. Yeah, I think – I like Kansas too. I do. But I, I think UNC is going to win this one. I mean, nothing would surprise me at this point. Like Kansas was just so disrespected. I think they're – they got tossed around. Everybody's like, no, Baylor's clearly the best team in that conference. Per, uh, not Purdue. Um Shit, I can't even remember who was up for the Big 12. Um, Kansas, Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor. That was a loaded conference this year, and I feel like Kansas would just push to the side, even though they won the regular season title. They were just pushed aside. Everyone's like, no, it's Chris Beard, Mark Adams. We're going to follow that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, Scott Drew coming off a national title. I don't know. I think there's just too much going in Kansas's favor. 
And they've got like, and I get it. They've UNC's got a ton of confidence right now. They just accomplished something like not a lot of guys can say they did, which is put probably the top, you know, maybe besides John Wooden, I mean, like Coach K, probably best, you know, best two in the sport ever at any level. Um, you just threw him into retirement, a guy that's been beating you up for years pretty damn cool um so they do i will acknowledge that i just think kansas is too big i think they're like they're gonna give baycott uh some trouble they're gonna give brady mannix some trouble too um it's about how well the rest of the guys on kansas play defense i think so i I, i'm going with them um we'll see what happens 9 20 tonight when this airs we'll know we'll know by 11 30 and that's a wrap. And that's a wrap uh, on college hoops, man. Yeah. That is a wrap on college hoops. Thanks for following along with the college hoops digest stuff. I mean, part of house enterprise got some great off season content coming your way. And, you know, we're ready for season two of this era, but we're on to baseball. We're on to baseball opening day. Seventh. Let's go. A lot of, lot of movement. We there has been the trade market's been heating up. Sean Manaya, who the Oakland A's, shout out to Jess Kleinschmidt, who just got hired by the Oakland A's. Um, they were facing off against the Padres and traded their opener, their their ace, Sean Manaya, to them, who then had to go just walk across the walk across the baseball field to his new team and pitch. The Padres, what a what a rotation. Obviously, they're going to be facing off against the Dodgers, who have who have built it up. But this is going to be an interesting season. A lot of uh, familiar faces and new places, and I really don't know what to uh, what to expect, especially from our Yankees. Um, I said this yesterday. I am the least confident in this Yankees team. Uh, probably in the last five years. What? So that means that I think they're going to go the deepest. Because <laughs> every time I'm like, dude, how can this fucking team lose? Garrett Cole's so good. Aaron yeah. Judge is so good. They get bounced in the first round. Yeah. So who knows? I'm not expecting anything from this Yankees team. Um, no. Donaldson looks great. I'm not expecting him to be good. He, I, I will admit, he looks very like he, he's the most lean he's ever been. He says he's the strongest he's ever been. He's mashing balls. He might hit leadoff on day one, which I actually really like. Um, I'm expecting him to hit 200 with 15 homers and 70 RBIs. Really? That low? I'm, I'm trying to reverse psychology myself okay. into it because if I expect it, then he will do better. Um, listen, I, I think... Like, I'm just, so, I'm not optimistic with these guys. Like, I, I really not. I, well, I hope they do well, but I'm just not I think satisfied one of those, with this group right now. It's one of those things where the Yankees were coming into this offseason expecting, well, Yankee fans at least, expecting major moves. Expecting Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman. Expecting Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, someone at shortstop expecting depth in the outfield expecting starting pitching no, got none of it. it got none of it you got none of it 
But I think this was change that the Yankees needed to make, right? So we're looking at like the team. The team got better defensively. Like call a spade a spade. It's like they got better defensively. Anthony Rizzo, full year at first baseman. We haven't had a first baseman play over 100 games since Mark Teixeira, right? Lyle yeah. Overbay was the last consistent guy for that one season, okay? It was so one year. Aaron, Aaron Rizzo, I mean, uh, Anthony Rizzo is averaging like 140 games the past five years. Perfect, okay? Great defense, solid bat, lefty. I love it. Now come in with, okay, a full year of Joey Gallo, who's going to be on immense pressure, but now he can finally get comfortable. A full year of Luis Severino. Great to see him back. But defensively, we got rid of Gary Sanchez, which needed to happen. Now, granted, he didn't get replaced by a um, Wilson Contreras or JT Real Muto, right? But, I mean, Kyle Higashioka, one of the longest tenured Yankees, he's been on the team since 2014. He has seven home runs this spring training. Hot take, I think he's juicing. You know what? No, I'm not going to say I don't that. fucking care. Let me also... Like- and he, that with, but I he could, plays I great give defense. A shit. He plays yeah. great defense, and we got rid of that headache. It sucks seeing a guy like Geo leave, you know, because like he was like a heart team, like he was one of those un, unexpected gems that Cashman found. But he, he's you know my thoughts. Of, Treat, they did the right move. Trade him while he's hot. Trade him while he's hot. Trade him while he's hot, right? And it's like, you know, the, you know, um, Isaiah Kinler Falafa, IKF. He's a great defender. He's a gold glove defender. Love the move. My question is now, it's like, what is the optimal lineup? Because DJ LeMahieu has been a top, top, five MP, top five MVP guy two of the last three years. He's your utility guy that they were supposed to bring him in as? Because like in a, in a, perfect, in a perfect world, this would be my lineup. It would be judge and right. Gallo in center, Stanton in left, Rizzo at first, uh, Torres at second, IKF at short, DJ at third, Donaldson as DH, mm. he is catcher. But Donaldson, the only thing with that is he's playing good D right He's No, he's playing good they defense, but it's third. like, I want both guys in the lineup. Right. And, and I, I mean, would prefer DJ's, be... I would prefer DJ's defense over Donaldson. I think that's just more of like familiarity and recency bias. Right. But then this also gives an opportunity for like the Yankees to move people around where it's like, if Stanton can play some outfields, someone opens up the DH and like Rizzo can play DH and DJ at first or vice versa on third base. And, you know, there's some opportunity. And then there's a couple guys that have been making some like low key waves during the spring training. Marwin Gonzalez, former Astro smashing the ball. Pretty nice. Miguel Andujar, I, he's going to be a utility guy. Um, I don't know. I don't know. My biggest fear right now is starting pitching because you can't expect to have another Nestor Cortez year. He's the fifth starter. I thought he's just going to be a long relief guy again, but he's your fifth starter. I don't hate it, but it's like, you can't, you can't imagine that he's going to have the year like he did last year. So it's Garrett Cole who's going to be on a big FU tour. I think he's, I, I'll put him as my Cy Young, not just because as Yankee fans, I think he's just going to be on a big FU tour. I think so too. That's actually a, 
I, I was thinking that too. And yeah. I, I like, with De, I think, well, DeGrom, obviously he would have been the NL, but um, you know, I think Otani is going to have a massive year uh, at the plate. I think he could, he's going to pitch well too, but he's one of those guys that, in my opinion, you know, what you're going to get from him for the next five, 10 years or so, which is he's going to keep you competitive. He's going to strike a lot of guys out, but you know, he's not going to, he's not going to have anything under like a three, five, um, probably win 10, 15 games too. Um, yeah. His value there as the MVP is going to be hitting for sure. So I think for that reason, Garrett Cole, you know, he's going to be real pissed. Uh, he gels with Higgy. Their chemistry is going to be at an all time high. You know, he's, kissed and made up with josh donaldson um this could be this could be good for him i think this is if he doesn't let me put it this way if he doesn't win cy young now i, I don't think he will ever at this point yeah so but then you look at the rest of the rotation it's like okay luis severino hopefully he can be the guy that he was a few years ago um tyone again question mark monty solid Solid. When he's not the number two guy, solid. But he might have to be a number two guy again. One more pitcher would have made it nice. It would have been nice. Sean Manaya would have been excellent. Sean Manaya would have been great. And but like the bullpen, I like the bullpen. The bullpen looks good. My question now is just depth because so we just mentioned it. We just mentioned the infield or the you know the the lineup. Your four bench spots is going to be your backup catcher which is that guy. Um, ben Rorford. Rorford, but he's hurt. So then it's the guy the Rangers just traded to us. Uh, fucking uh, Trevino. Yeah. So, and honestly, IKF can catch if he needs to. He started uh, 100 games over the past couple of years catcher. So possibility, but that's okay. So that's one. Uh, either DJ or Glaber. What about Hicks? Hicks. Yeah. And uh, number four. So either Andujar, Marwin Gonzalez, um, Esteban Florial, couple names, but your backup first baseman, like DJ is your utility. Who's your backup shortstop? It's Glaber. IKF yeah, needs to play true. every single game at shortstop. He's got to play, right. He's got to play somewhere and it needs to, probably needs to be a short. So because who else is playing shortstop? Uh. <laughs> I mean, DJ could. That's not an ideal situation, though. You know? I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking around. They have a – I forgot Tim Lucastro's back. So, yeah, I guess that's your – I don't I – mean, Well, you have some options. I mean, it's Lucastro, it's Ender Inciarte, who's actually, like, been not bad in spring training. So, they've got some shit to figure out make or break for Boone. It's make or bake for Cashman. I mean, they're really banking on the youth movement again, these baby bombers, guys like Anthony Volpe, Jason Dominguez, like they're, they're banking on those guys to be the future. It's just very infuriating because like we're now, you know, a couple of days away from opening day, Aaron judge extension has not happened yet. I don't really love that. Uh, didn't really love the way they just approached the off season where it's like, we're going to get younger faster and like invest in the future and they didn't they took on like they got their guy ikf as like your stopgap shortstop for anthony volpe but she took on 50 million dollars in two years of donaldson which was very not much of a cashman move who usually has the opposing team pick up a lot of salary you know mm -hmm. 
It's very so odd. 50 million bucks for Josh Donaldson so the Twins could sign Carlos Correa. Yeah. But like last year during the trade deadline, he had the Cubs and the Rangers pick up Rizzo and Gallo's tab. Right. Two all-stars. But we have to eat $50 million for 50 million for Donaldson, which again, I hope he proves this wrong, but still $50 million. Like, holy shit. And again, when you see like the contract that Correa got, like, yeah, he's still making the most ever AAV at like 35 or 36 million as a, as a, as a uh, infielder. But like, it's a three-year deal with two opt-outs. If you wanted a stopgap, he could have been your stopgap. Mm-hmm. But my hot take, if things go south for the Yankees this year, Xander Bogarts will be the shortstop for the New York Yankees in 2023. I don't necessarily think that's just if things go bad. It's very possible. I think that that's an option regardless of what happens this year, yeah. to be honest. The Red Sox have been very weird with their homegrown prospects in recent years. Mookie Betts being one of them where it's like, we're not going to pay you the 300 million that you want. So we're going to trade you Xander Bogarts. I mean, they just signed Trevor story to six years, 200 something million, or maybe it was like a hundred something. I don't remember what it was either way, but he's your second, second baseman. He'll be your shortstop by next year. I agree. I I agree. It's just going to get too, it's going to get too uh, clogged up there. Cause you know, I I really don't think he gives a shit what he's doing, but (laughs) they're already projecting the 2025 Boston starting lineup. It's so cringe. It's uh, it's a lot of prospects and Christian Vasquez is still on this team. (laughs) I mean, again, Boston's one of those teams you can never count out and they always prove people wrong. I just don't think, I mean, right now, in my personal opinion, it's the Blue Jays division to lose. Yeah, they're plus 800 odds to win the World Series right now. And that, that's actually probably a good segue into the World Series prediction, too. We'll, we'll do that. We'll close it out. We'll come back with a full preview next week, too, of like who we think is going to win it's Rookie of the Year. We think we can yeah. do Silver Slugger, that kind of stuff. Um, you want to go first for, for World Series? Because I'm trying to justify not picking the Dodgers, Dodgers. and I can't. The Do- yeah, you know, I I really do think that, like, the Dodgers bullpen right now is insane. The Dodgers bullpen is I think it's the best. Blake Trinan, Craig Kimbrell, uh, Canely. They have David Price in the bullpen. Wait, Dave Tommy Canely? Shit, I forgot yeah. about that. Um, their starting rotation is gonna have he's gonna be good again. I just can't get over the fact that it's like yo, you literally have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, and the fact that, like, what's the most frustrating too with all of this? It's like they still kept Gavin Lux, who is like now, who's like their utility. Where it's like if Gavin Lux was on the Yankees and they were trying to make any of those moves he would be the first name off the fucking board where it's like that one year, like two or three years ago when like labor Torres had like two all-stars as second base, like he was back-to-back all-stars. He was still like, I mean, he's still young, but it was like, Oh yeah. For like Tyler Boyd or like 
some random ass pitcher. We want Glaber Torres. It's like he's a two time All Star with like eight years of control. Get the fuck out of here. No. Um, what's it called? They've got Daniel Hudson too. That's actually a great pickup for them. He uh he got swapped by Washington to San Diego last year. I mean, he's old as shit, but like he he's still throwing heat. Yeah. Uh, um. So essentially, they like lost Corey Seager, but remember they traded for Trey Turner. Forgot about that, <laughs> Dude, right? That's an upgrade. And like, then who who? But they they lost Corey Seager and they got Freddie Freeman. All right. It's insane. So sad. So their their infield got better somehow. It's Freeman, Trey Turner, probably Muncie there somewhere, and then Justin Turner. I mean, that's a that's a good. It's a good infield. And what's their outfield? Mookie. Outfield's probably going to be um, Chris Taylor in left, Bellinger in center, and Betts in right. Yeah, that's another one. Like, is Bellinger going to – you never know. Like, is, is the outfield in a couple months, if Bellinger really, like, screws something up, going to look like Gavin Lux in left, Chris Taylor in center, uh, and Betts in right? You know, that's, that's a legit option. Because who the, option. Hell, like, what again, the hell happened to Bellinger? Again, they're probably going to be a team at the deadline who's going to get like a Kettle Marte or oh. they're going to get someone like that. So, again, though, the, the team that does intrigue me, and I think it's more of like I don't understand how they constantly make moves, is the Padres. The Padres, yeah. and I mean, I said this last year, and again – we don't know when um, Fernando Tatis is going to be back, but right now their rotation is Joe Mos- uh, Musgrove, you Darvish, Sean Benaya, Blake Snell, and Mike Clevenger. Wow. Um, mm. Then there, then you have Austin Nola as your catcher. You have three starting like caliber first basemen in Eric Hosmer, Luke Voigt, and Matt Beattie. Jake Cronworth, uh, Manny Machado, Hassan Kim, Jerkison Profar, Will Myers, Luke Voigt is your DH, Trent Grisham. Like that's still a good, it's not as namey, but like it's 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 productive, like money ball style baseball. I agree. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I I take the Dodgers. That's my. I take the Dodgers. Sounds like yours. Uh, yeah, I would have Rutani's said the Mets. my MVP right now too. So oh. I think those are very chalky picks. But who's your MVP? Otani. Very chalky. Um, that's what I'm gonna do here. Uh, runner up is Vlad for me. Um, I just can't pick Trout right now. Uh, maybe that's foolish of me because I think he's gonna come back and not skip the beat. But no, um, I'm out on I'm out on the Trout MVP picks. Mm. I, I hear I, I get it though. He's kind of passed. Yeah, Otani's a safe one. I, I think it'll be hard for him to replicate another year like he did last year. Um I like I like Vladdy. I really do think a dark horse candidate is somebody on the Yankees. Again, not just the biasy. I think you just always have to include like someone in that list, either John Carlo, Joey Gallo, even Judge. I really do think it's like a dark horse candidate. Yeah, who knows but my mvp pick dark horse marcus simeon Mm, okay dark horse 
what the Rangers did down there, I think they're a solid team as well. If I have to pick a dark horse, I'll take Correa. Correa, yeah. Because it's damn right. Like, I'm just looking at the Bavada stuff. Like, Wander, first of all, Wander Franco's way too high. He's plus 1,500. That's the same odd as Judge. Yeah, no. But this is all AL. So this is course, just a, right. I was about to say, this is just the AL MVP. So, NL, I mean, favorite Soto. Second is Acuna. And you've got Harper, Mookie, Tatis, uh, Trey Turner, and then Freeman. I think a dark, um, you know who my dark horse is for the NL? Do tell. Chris Bryant. I think he's going to smash in Colorado. He might. You know, I'll take a dark horse of Trey Turner, actually. Yeah. Trey Turner or Freeman could both be considered dark horses. Um, you know who I actually am going to sprinkle some money on is Mookie. That I think he's my Mookie. pick right now. Yeah. I think at plus nine fifty, he's my pick for an LMVP. Um, it could be like Soto. It, he's so fucking good, and he should win the MVP if he like plays well. But I don't know. Like something always happens to those guys. Like either they just have a nasty strikeout spell, or they get hurt for a couple of weeks and they just like stop getting on base. Or they just walk a bunch or something. I don't know. Something always happens like the young prospect on the verge of a contract extension to lock him up forever. And then it just doesn't. I don't know. I'll take Betts. Betts is my NL MVP. Uh, Otani, my AL. Both of them coming from the same fucking city. How chalk is that? Angels wasting away careers left and right. Ugh. It's what they do. It's the it's the Angels' way. Angels' way. When's the last time they won a World Series? Two thousand two. That was when uh, Mike Socho was there. And uh, I'm almost positive Mickey Calloway. No, Mickey Calloway was not there. No, Who no, Mike no. Socho? Because uh, Mickey Calloway is there now. Um, yeah, the 2002 they're one and only yeah, nice. they're one and they're one and only title. Yeah, that's what I figured. It was Mike Sosha. You're right on that. You know who they faced? Um it wasn't San Francisco, was it? It was. You know who's the manager then? Uh couldn't have been Bochi. It was oh shit. Dusty. I don't know. Dusty Baker. Oh, it does make sense. Now, oh, you know why I'm thinking this? Because Joe Madden, Joe Madden was on, he was on the coaching staff. Yeah. So he won a ring with the Angels. He was there the last time the Angels won a ring. And now he's managing the team. Interesting. Okay. Uh they need some help though. They need that's like a team, couple pitches. Everyone knows to get that, the saving. That 2002 Angels had uh, Clay Bellinger. Funny enough. Yeah. Um, where's their depth chart? David Eckstein at short. Tim Salmon oh, right. David Eckstein was that dude. 
By the way, yeah, you have guy who was like a generate generational talent in Mike Trout and another generational talent in Otani. Yeah, a couple MVPs, but you guys haven't been to the playoffs, and I don't think they will again. Dude, OG MLB like video game days. Benji and Jose Molina both on that team. Yeah, yeah. I just think I feel like it was kind of nice there too. Garrett Anderson, I mean, a big, big ass lefty who just absolutely mashed. Uh, for many it's just too competitive right now for the angels to get in even with the expanded playoff yeah i I know the the al is just wild this year it's like Um, the al east any of the four sorry baltimore Orioles, are getting in right you know in the central you have white Sox, astros and now you have to say the twins maybe right i know you have to at least put the twins in the conversation and then the AL West. Who, who else is that? Who do they have in there? It's um, Texas, actually, who's could make a, a run. But I mean, Houston, it's it's their division to win. You know? Yeah. A lot I'm of baseball. To, why am I blanking on everybody else in that division? It's, I, um, it's Houston, Oakland, Texas, the Angels. And um, I'm who am I forgetting? Uh, Seattle, actually. So Seattle's, I don't know. Too many uh, questions about Seattle. The Mariners, actually, wait. The Mariners, you know, they almost made the playoffs last year. But yeah, they, they really the- didn't do shit this year, though. Well, they got Robbie Ray. And yeah, then- I guess that helps. Um, they got Mike Ford, too. <laughs> they had Mike Ford. Um, they also got Eugenio, uh, Eugenio Suarez. Yeah, that's a that's a good pick. And Jesse Winkler. And Toro was, was excellent last year when he came over. Yeah. But, I mean, Ty I feel France, still kind of sucks. I think, France, well, Wink, uh, Winker. Winker is the guy that came over. Yeah. I let me, All right, they're going to be good. I think they will actually be pretty good. You convinced me. Jared Kalenic, Mitch Hanniger, Kyle Lewis, J.P. Yeah, Kalenic's going to be – that was – that was one that the small state big takes guys just talked about. It's like what he had a brutal first, first year last year. That was not good. Um, But who knows? I mean, he's going to get more regular reps. He's going to get like no excuses this year. You know, you've got good talent around you. You got to rise up to him. I bet you Souza starts too, who I'm not a huge fan of, but whatever. Yeah. Kyle Lewis is going to be pretty good too. Cesar is Turris Jr. What? He plays? I had no idea. Wow. How old is he? His dad, like Cesar is Turris from, uh, yeah, from the Angels, or the, uh, yeah, it was the, no, not the Angels, the, uh, the Dodgers and the Reds. Wow, crazy shit. Well, we'll do more MLB next week. We'll do a full preview. Um, that is our show. Final closing thoughts. Oh, I guess while we're into the baseball talk, there needs to be a um, salary floor. Yeah. Yes, there does. Yeah. There has to be a salary floor. Um, that's just embarrassing. Like literally there's four, there's like four or five teams that are making 
less money as a whole than Max Scherzer this year, who is probably going to be hurt and miss half the season. I don't get it. That's one like of the, I think Scherzer, who's like yeah, a Cy Young, multiple Cy Young winner, perennial Hall of Famer. Like we get it, but forty six million dollars for a guy that's probably going to pitch 15, 18, 20 starts. Every pitch he's making like thousands of dollars. Dumb. That's insanity. Um, yeah, pirates, get off your ass. Start paying people. That's that's disgusting. It's act. That's not good. They need to start spending some money. It's terrible. That's the show. Full MLB preview coming for you next week, everybody. That's Will and I'm Jake. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. So long, everyone. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.